Joshua Edward Wright. I was imprisoned in Portland, Oregon, United States for 50 months. And during that time, I realized that not a lot of people know what we go through. So what I will be offering is personal narrative in the hope that the listener will be able to realize the validity of the statement that no human being belongs in a cage. Welcome. Welcome to another episode of the podcast, The Exiled Voice. Today I have with me Nap. Nap, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Nap, uh, also known as Two Peas. Been incarcerated nine out of the last 13 years. I've done uh, two different bids. Uh, the recent one was the most shortest. I just came home on September 23rd, so fresh back out here and uh, trying to see what's going on and and open up about what's going on inside to people out here. If you want to take us through any of your sets, but how you kind of learned to do time and what you went through and just anything you want to talk about, I'd love to hear it. All right. Well, for me, my first arrest came when I was uh, 19. So my first incarceration, I was 19. It's definitely dealing with the police, not me specifically, but in our culture period is uh, very abrasive at times. We really don't have that voice. Me being of African descent, you know, we're immediately considered guilty. We're not the only culture that is viewed this way. So I'm not trying to say it like it's only us. But at the same time, for me personally, I had an incident when even when I was uh, cooperating and doing the things that they asked of me, I was still treated a, a way that was uh, very cold. So that whole process at that time, I got arrested in Las Vegas and I was extradited back to Oregon. So I've done a few weeks down in CCDC and they flew me back out here. I sat in the county for nine months. Um, county jail is no place to do time at, at all. You know, if anybody has been incarcerated, you know, county jail is one of the worst places to be. If you know you're going to have to do time, people try to get upstate. It's sad to say that, but they rather get upstate quicker than later so they can actually start and live a little better. County jail, the food sucks. Canteen sucks. The officers are, are assholes. Just everything about it. You're like I said before, you're viewed in a certain light from the gate, from the time that you step into that place and you're fingerprinted and processed you are viewed a certain way. We are viewed as lesser than, and it definitely gets worse because in county jail, usually you're dealing with uh, police officers, your local police officers, whether they're in certain counties or your sheriff's office, whoever these people are, these deputies, these patrolling traffic officers, these are the individuals who you are in, uh, dealing with on a day-to-day -day in these county jails. Once you get upstate and you're processed through um, well, actually, for Oregon, there is intake at Coffee Creek. Coffee Creek is very, in a sense, isolating. You're in a unit with a bunch of other AICs that are going upstate, but yet you are still isolated. They still separate it and do walks. Sometimes there's two tiers and they will do walks quarterly. Half of a tier at a time could walk, then the other half, and then they'll go downstairs to that tier half and a half. So you don't even get to be out with everybody. You know, and you could be in there anytime from three, four weeks to 60 days. There's people I've heard have done a lot of time there. Once you're finally upstate, for me, my first time I made it up, uh, I was 20 years old. I arrived out in um, Eastern Oregon Correctional Institution in Pendleton. I was there for the first four years of my incarceration when it came to DOC. So adjusting to that for me was very different. I'm originally from uh, California. So I had no family in Oregon. I wasn't one that was getting a lot of visits. Financially, I wasn't situated. 
at the time, you know, so it could be rough. It could be a depressing experience. It could be something that can make people feel like you are alone, even though you're sitting in an institution with over 2000 other people, you can feel like nobody understands what you're dealing with and going through. And then there's the political landscape in every prison. This comes with anything you're involved with uh, as far as gang activities. There's people who come up state and then join certain groups or whatever the case may be, whatever that individual story is. So there's a landscape that comes with what we would call politics on the inside. You go to the chow hall, you're sitting in a certain area. You know, you're eating with a certain group. Usually if you're on the yard, you're not really in certain areas. You're, you're going to be more like with the people you are coinciding with. When things happen, um, there are expectations if you are involved in that lifestyle. It's not that you owe anything materialistic, but at the same time, you owe yourself. If you are involved with any politics, you definitely have your onus on giving yourself fully to any situation. Anytime somebody needs you, whether it's help, whether it's a physical altercation, whatever the case may be. With all that being said, this is just our individual and, and personal living arrangements, let's say. And then you come into contact with your correctional officers. These are the COs who come in there and they're working a shift eight to nine hours. More than likely, they're, they're not cool. There's a lot of guys who come in there and they could be dealing with something in the real world and they bring it into their job and they take it out on us. They uh, talk to you any kind of way if they feel like it. And if you have a reply to them that they don't like, you are immediately punished, whether it's a sell in, sent to SAG, you know, whatever the case may be. When it comes to prison, like it is in American government, there is a power dynamic. Police, the government, the federal level, state level, everything. There's a power dynamic. And that power dynamic is those that are in power protect each other. Those that are in power look to oppress anybody who is not on their level. And that is the same thing as it comes down to incarceration. We're looked at a certain way. Once again, we're found guilty of whatever it is, whether we did it or not, we're in prison. So we're looked at a certain way and they treat us that way. The food, I mean, you hear it all the time. People say they wouldn't give it to their dogs. People wouldn't let their kids eat this. The portions are small. The, the quality is horrible. Everything on canteen is inflated. We're buying soups for 30, 40 cents a piece. It's, it's crazy. It's more of an economic gain for the, the United States. You know, it, it was always said to be for rehabilitation. It was big when the economic boom started and it was actually processed as a product to produce workers. You got in trouble, they put you in there and they tried to, in a sense, train us to be domesticated in a workforce so we can produce more economic wealth for this country. That has veered sharply. Mind you, it still happens in a lot of places. There are chain gangs, there's work groups, um, there's even laws and ORSs, if I'm not mistaken, that dictate that you must work if you are incarcerated. But yet you're getting paid 30 to 40 dollars a month unless you're lucky and have a better job. So it still happens. But at the same time, it's it's mainly about punishment. Everything in prison is punishment. You say the wrong thing, you get punished. You wear something wrong, you get punished. You have extra of this, you get punished. You know, you step out of line, you're punished. Like we already are punished. We already in a position where we don't have family. 
Um, some people may have a relative in there, granted. But what I mean is like, you're not in there with your parents. You're not in there with your kids. You're not in there with your significant other. So you're in a situation that's already could be mentally decapitating for some people. You know, it's it's a very oppressive environment. It's something that is, it's, it's, it's fucked up in, in, in a better sense of words. I'm sorry, but it's, it's nothing cool about it. And the way that we're getting there is crazy. Like it's so much, you have your elitists and your lobbyists who have a lot of this money and power in this place that we call America to protect what they have. They have consistently created laws to target people of lesser stature. And these people of lesser stature are usually the ones who are going to prison are sitting in jail. And it's not even about right or wrong at the end of the day. It's more about them protecting what they have, you know? And it's like, if you have money that when you look at anything in the media about a celebrity, a celebrity with money does not get this type of time that somebody who is just a regular citizen is going to get for even a worse crime just because of their stature, just because of the money they have, just because of who they know. It shouldn't be a justice system that is based off of economics. If it's a justice system, it's supposed to be based off of justice. There is no justice in our justice system. And as of today, there's a big movement going on where people have been awakened to that. Like I said, for me, this was me personally, just things I've personally went through or things I've heard from people that I've dealt with during these times, like my first incarceration was seven and a half years. I went in at 19. I got out when I was 27. I was out for a few years and um, I got in trouble again. And that's when I went back. I had 30 months and I participated in the AIP program. Luckily, I was blessed enough to do that. And I got out in 18 months. So now I'm here. But coming back into society, we still now are classified or viewed because we have these felony convictions as second class or second rate citizens in a society that has basically condemned us. You know, like they've put things in place to put us in these positions. And then you go through your punishment and you give them your time. You pay your fines and your restitution and you get out and it's like you're still being punished. It doesn't it doesn't stop. And this is where a lot of this stuff in my eyes needs to change how specific individuals are viewed, how specific individuals are targeted, how they are cornered, basically, into taking deals. Anybody who's done time or anybody knows people who've done time that knows the system will stack bogus charges up against you just to make you plead to that one charge that you actually did do. Then they end up getting you on paper. And they say, once you're in the system, it's hard to get out. It's all about a, a dollar. It's all about a workforce. It's all about a lot of things that they can get for free, especially if you look at the 13th Amendment, speaking about slavery being abolished unless you commit a felony. So once you've committed that felony, they again have their right to take away all your rights. And it's just it's a cycle. It's it's a never ending cycle. It's a it's a horrible cycle. And this is the world we're living in. And uh, to clarify for the audience, some words that NAP used during a lot of that are AICs are adults in custody. Um, that was a term that's recently come out, I think in the last like five, six, seven years, something like that. Another is SEG, that's segregation, that's the whole, that's solitary confinement. I, I did solitary confinement, I mentioned in a previous show, in county jail, awaiting trial for three months in a single cell, 23-hour lockdown. Um, you're allowed a pencil, you're allowed a little scrap of paper, you're allowed one book. 
you're allowed some soap um, and you have a, you know, everything in your cell, you have a toilet, um, you have a little sink and food is brought to you. Like, like, like Knapp said, you can be, be get put in seg for basically anything. You can get put in seg for disagreeing with somebody, especially if that person is a correctional officer, is a CEO. Another thing is not mentioned food. A lot of our first jobs are in the kitchen. And some people see, you know, the labels on the food that they're, they're cooking for other prisoners. And a lot of it says not safe for human consumption. Um, a lot of it's expired by years. Um, at Columbia River Correctional Institution, where Knapp and I have both done time, they don't have a dishwasher. At least they didn't for the whole four years that I was there. Still and don't. that means, yeah, still don't. So they can't sanitize anything that is being used or eaten by, you know, 600, some 700 prisoners that are there. Um, and that's a daily three times a day meal thing where, you know, you get germs built up and stuff like that. And granted, they, they wash them in a sink, but they can't sanitize them. And due to the nature of Columbia River as well, it's a dorm setting. So if someone gets sick from this type of stuff, it's going to run through the entire prison because you're living in close con confinement, like within a couple feet of at least three other people, any single unit you get to. And so if you have a cold, if you get some bacteria or something viral, it'll go through entire 80 man dorm in a week or less, you know, a couple of days usually. And then you go out to yard, people need to work out to keep their mental health, to keep their physical health going. And then you pass that along as well. So, and, and another thing I wanted to touch on that Knapp said in particular is that the gears of capitalism, in order to remain running in America, are necessarily, like they have to have the amount of manpower in prison in order to have their profit margin as high as they are. So like he was saying, in order to keep the funds going and these corporations running, um, they do have contracts with prisons, with jails, with uh, immigration centers now and detention centers where they are contracted out and they, they offer human beings to do the work for them at no price or very, very small price. Um, we get paid less than slave labor wages in China, in Asia, in mainland Asia that allows those corporations like McDonald's used to do it. Walmart used to do it. They contract us out and then we make products for them. We, we don't get any you know, benefit for it. It's not like we can go out and get some type of insurance from Walmart or something because we made all their clothes or something for their employees. It's not like that. We don't get anything from that. We, we have to do it. It's required. He also said ORS. ORS is organ revised statutes. Those are laws that the Oregon Department of Corrections has uh, to keep everything running. And they, they go off of these rules. And, and one of those rules is if you are in prison, you are required to work or you, will, you are subject to punishment. You are subject to fine. You are subject to all kinds of stuff. And it says that in the law, that those are actual laws. So I want everyone to remember those types of things is like, these stories, we're not just making this up. It's not something that we think that we heard or maybe mistaken about. Like all of these, you can look these this stuff up yourself. Look up, you know, contract labor, look up chain gang, look up, you know, anything like that. Oregon revised statutes, for example, look up, you know, lawsuits pertaining to, to work conditions in prison, uh, especially like firefighters. Now, recently, um, California firefighters, Oregon firefighters in particular, um, there's a lot of stuff going on with that, and especially in the recent past. So I want to keep that in mind. But uh, 
you know, a couple more questions now for you for the audience is, you know, the first one is how was your release? Like, what was that like for you most recently getting out? Refreshing to be able to leave that environment. No, no man wants to consistently have to shower in close proximity or live in close proximity to a bunch of other males. Like you said, there's three meals a day. We don't get to decide when those meals are. There's a set time for those meals. Uh, if you want to stay up late, you have to do it in the dark. These lights come on at a certain time. Their lights go off at a certain time. Going through it before was one thing, but having to deal with it again, it was more like an a anxious situation as far as ready for it to happen, wanting it to come. And for me personally, at this time, we are dealing with a pandemic. You know, and things are completely different than they were just from last year. So it's more like me looking forward to being able to reunite with that part of me that that had some say so in what I did, that that was able to get some of those rights back and able to do the things that I chose to do when I chose to do them. Also, the biggest thing for me is I am a father. So being able to return back to this side of that fence and talk to my kids when I wanted to video call my kids on the phone and all that, because like I stated, I've done uh, the AIP. So I have a 90 day transitional leave, which is considered an NPL, which is non-prison leave, if you don't know. And that means I am still considered DOC custody for these 90 days. So me getting in trouble, like uh, somebody just on probation our post-prison supervision isn't the same. I'm looking at basically going back to prison if I get in trouble in these 90 days, which for me, it's not a bad thing. You know, it just helps me keep my head on straight. It helps me stay focused and make sure that I'm doing what I need to do to turn this from non-prison leave straight to the parole or post-prison that it that it will be eventually. So it wasn't too, too crazy for me personally, but uh, it definitely seemed like it was overdue. It was something I was really looking forward to. I really, really appreciate you being on. You know, is there anything, anything final you want to say? Any last words you want to kind of share with the audience? Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate, you know, you having me on here, Josh. And uh, for anybody, there's always times to vote for things. You know, there's always bills that are coming out. There's always statutes. There's always all these things going, even let's say our elected officials. There's always a time for this. If people feel some type of way about something, make sure you look into what is available to play your part in helping change that. Make sure that when a certain bill is out, you're not voting on it because your friend liked it. You know, make sure that you're trying to do something that you have some kind of knowledge on. And at the end of the day, we are all ignorant of a lot of things because we don't know everything. So do some research, review it. What is this bill actually talking about? What law is actually going to come into play if I do vote for this and help this pass? Who is this person running for this office in this position? What, how is that going to affect me? But be, be broader and not looking only towards yourself. How is this going to affect my community? How is this going to affect some of my family? How is this going to affect those people who are actually in need of certain help and resources that just because I don't need it doesn't mean that that might not be important. There are people who have more than me. There are people who don't have as much as me. I'm more concerned with the progression and growth of the society as far as those who don't have more. Don't don't count something out just because it doesn't affect you personally. Always consider who it may affect. Always consider what may happen for those people and see what you can do to help change that in a positive light 
definitely continue with the BLM movement and this prison reform, this police reform, like all this, this budgeting crisis. Everybody step up, play your part and go out there and make your voice count. You know, individually we could be silenced, but as a whole, you know, they'll have to listen to us. Everybody just play your part. Absolutely. I appreciate you so much. Blessings. I want to thank Knapp and everyone out there listening. We'll see you next time.